Genesis 45, uh, verses 16 through 28. 16 through the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your uh, animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded to do this. Take hearts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your fathers and come. Also do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them carts, according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, uh, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. Also he sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. He is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they had told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. <clears throat> as we consider it in terms of our lives today and consider uh, this as a, an encouragement to take of the Lord's Supper uh, next week. And the title of the message is uh, Our All-Sufficient God. Our All-Sufficient God. And this sufficiency, the divine sufficiency of God is worked out in the strangest of circumstances as we see it here in this text, underneath the title in the bulletin, I've got this theme. I said, God is all our families need. We need not worry about the big things or the small things. And his working through Pharaoh teaches us how his sovereignty over all things works out great blessings. Looking forward to communion next week. We need to prepare ourselves to commit to this God. In other words, the sufficiency of God works upon us uh, to encourage us to come to him for more. If God is all sufficient, let us come to him. Let us ask him for more. Let us seek his face that we might obtain more and more of his goodness, these, these sufficient things that he has for us. Now, I've got three main points to the sermon within a final application. The first point is that God controls the wider, broader issues of our lives. Basically, the points are going to be God God, God uh, controls the big things, God controls the little things, 
And uh, he brings all of these things to his own wonderful fruition. And so let's look first of all at the, at the, at the big things. You may, if, you, if you look at that verse 16, you may not get it right away. But uh, because verse 16 says, <clears throat> now the report it was heard, now the report of it, that is um, Joseph's breaking down and weeping with his brothers, clearing the court, and then the, the, his, his, the wailing and the lament and the joy of this reunion uh, could be heard outside the hall. So the report of this was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. Now this is the part that's really significant. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. This was the, this was the linchpin upon which all the rest of this gratuity proceeded or unfolded. The, the pleasure of Pharaoh. The Spirit of God moved upon Pharaoh and gave Pharaoh a benevolent attitude toward Joseph and all of his family. Now you step back and you say to yourself, why should this have happened with Pharaoh? Pharaoh had his own nation to be concerned about. They were in the midst of a famine. Pharaoh had the government of his own nation. God, Pharaoh had all of the intricacies of his own government to consider. But we see here in, in an amazing way that God affected the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh found pleasure in thinking about the reunion of Joseph with his family. What did Pharaoh know about Joseph? He only knew that this man had come to him like an angel out of the darkness, like, a, like an angel out of the heavens. And when, they, when Egypt had this great need, first of all, of a dream to be interpreted, then secondly, of working out that dream in all of its government, in all of its preparation. And so, for, for Pharaoh to elevate this Jewish man, Joseph, to a place of such elegance and such sovereignty as the, the prime minister of all Egypt was an extraordinary thing. And we can see here that God must have, during this whole time, God must have been working on Pharaoh's heart to consider the amazing dimensions of this providence of God's. Now, Pharaoh didn't understand Jehovah. Really, he didn't understand the providence of God either, but he was the recipient of it. And so we see by his reactions how uh, the God was working so different upon this Pharaoh uh, than he did later on with the other Pharaoh, uh, who follows up later, whom God hardened this the second Pharaoh's heart. This Pharaoh, though, he opens up his heart. So he changes his disposition. He finds pleasure in the idea of blessing Joseph's people, uh, his, his father, his, his uh, brothers, and the, the many people that were associated with their larger family now. He finds pleasure in this. Now this reminds us of how important is the disposition of our hearts. The Bible makes a great deal about the heart. And the, the Bible speaks about the heart as if it is the key, uh, like in a combination lock. The heart is like the last number of the combination. If the heart is affected properly, then all things are, are possible. Nothing is impossible before the Lord. 
And uh, on the other hand, if the heart is left unaffected, then uh, mankind can be a terrible problem. But if the heart changes, uh, then it can affect so many different particulars or so many other different consequences. And that's why the Lord calls us uh, in John 3, reminds us that we must aim at being reborn. Nicodemus says, how can a man, when he, is, when he has already been born and lived, how can he be reborn? How can this happen a second time? But God says, this is possible. Not only is it that it's possible, that it's a necessity if we are going to see things rightly. Because the heart is like the charioteer. The heart, uh, like the charioteer, drives this team of, of stallions and the cart. And, and so as the charioteer finds a purpose in turning them left or turning them right or driving them ahead, slowing down, speeding up. All of this is part of the responsibility of the heart. And so the Bible uh, speaks at great ends about the heart, the significance of the heart, and uh, and how the heart is so influential. And he, he tells the people of Israel, he said, you are hard-hearted, you're stiff-necked. There's a stubbornness associated with your heart, and that's affecting everything that you do. In this case, with Pharaoh, God gave this pagan man who did not love the Lord in an evangelical way, he gives him over to a delightful pleasure when it came to Joseph and his people. So um, when we think of our families, we, we might think of all the needs that they have. We might analyze our own lives and see all the problems that we have. We might, if we really know ourselves, we might look at ourselves and we might say, well, you know, Dick, you have a real problem with this or that feature of your life. You find this more difficult to do than the average person does. Uh, this may be your liability. Or that, 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 that Another thing may be your handicap. But if the heart is intact, if the heart is purposed unto the things of the Lord, how, how often these all these other things can be affected for good. Now, you know, you may still have, you know, you may not be a fast runner. And so, you know, you in your sanctification, you might, you, you may feel like, well, the Lord has taught me how to run a little bit. And that little bit is still faster than you ran before. But you may not, you may still feel like, oh, I'm not really a fast runner. And yet in Christ, when the heart is changed, we'll be running better than we ever did before. And the rest of our lives will be even more affected. Things that we did well before. Perhaps we were lovers rather than fighters or uh, planners rather than leaving things imprecise. Uh, we will find those things are even more improved. And so God, <clears throat> just as he controlled Pharaoh's heart in this case, God controls uh, things in our case, too. God controls the big things of our lives. It's because his, of his disposition. He is, dis, he is well disposed to us or for us because uh, of his eternal disposition and because he's acted upon that and, and uh, uh, ordered his son to go and to win redemption for his people and to send the spirit of the Son and the Father unto us to 
bring about this redemption? Uh, because of this eternal disposition of God, uh, his eternal love, the Bible calls it. Because of that, we can be confident that everything in our lives will work out for good, according to Romans 8.28. So we see, first of all, that God controls the big things of our lives. And we see that illustrated here in Pharaoh and his the pleasure that he found in Joseph. Now, because of that, because of the big thing, because of this disposition of heart, of which God influenced Pharaoh, because of that, we see that God is also in charge of all the particulars. Now, we use the word particular as an adverb. Um, uh, We we use it to define or to qualify um, the things that we're trying to do in terms of activities of our lives. And so we might say, uh, of all the particular actions of our lives, uh, you know, we need to have control of them. Well, the, the word particular used in uh, philosophically or theologically speaks of the, the individual bits and pieces of our lives. Um, so that... Um, uh, God can uh, work with all of these individual things. Uh, when it comes to God's grace, we even use the word particular, particular. We use that uh, as a, um, a name for a whole system. We call it, we, we call Calvinism, particularism. Uh, in the sense that uh, God does not just work generally or by, by a class, like God does not just bless Israel as a group, but not the individuals of Israel. No, we believe God blesses all the individuals of Israel. And so when we speak of God saving us and God, God electing us under his under salvation and grace, that's, that's sometimes called particularism versus universalism, which is... Uh, uh, considered by Calvinists at least, it's considered as a flaw, theological flaw. So uh, when, when I say that God is sufficient unto all the wider things, the, the general thing or the, 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 the most basic thing, uh, like the disposition of the heart, I'm, I'm also, I also see in this text how, how God exemplifies or illustrates his concern for the particular things. Now let's just look at these particulars. Because of because of Pharaoh's disposition, we see in verse 17 and following, he says, do this, load your animals. And so the animals were a particular concern of Pharaoh. And as he gives his command, as he blesses jo- Joseph, he doesn't just bless him generally, he blesses all of these particulars, all of these parts of Joseph's life. He says, uh, <clears throat> um, he calls Joseph to come back to him because he says, I will give you the best of the land. So in Pharaoh's mind, he's already providing for Joseph the, the a place that he would live when he comes back to Egypt. And uh, then he says after that, and you will eat the fat of the land so that even in the time of famine, Pharaoh's disposition toward the Jews is that he will he will bless them above all the other generalities of people. You get the feeling that the Israelites were going to eat better than the Egyptians in many cases because of this particular interest of Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh says in verse 19, he says, take carts 
out of the land. This would be the equivalent of wagons, um, things that would roll on wheels by which you could transport people and things more easily over a long journey. Pharaoh is concerned about those. Doesn't Pharaoh have enough things in Egypt to be concerned about? No, he's concerned about carts for the women and the children of, uh, of Israel. And he, he, he addresses that. He says, carts of, take the carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Pharaoh doesn't want the little ones to struggle in their migration to Egypt. He wants them to be able to ride in carts. And those wives, those women, some of them might be pregnant. And they're coming down to Egypt. Why make them walk? No, Pharaoh is concerned, you see, for them. And the older women that they have to uh, walk, take all of these steps to come back to Egypt. No, Pharaoh is going to send carts for them. And he mentions them by name. And he says, bring your father and come. And do not be concerned about your goods. You know, when you take a long trip like this and you're going to move to another land, um, our natural concern is, well, how can we leave this or how can we leave that? Pharaoh saying, don't worry about the stuff that you leave. I'm opening up the treasure troves of Egypt for you. I'm going to give you better stuff here than you would have where you left. Just come along. And this is all Pharaoh's concern. His disposition was bent toward Israel instead of against it. And uh, so he's all concerned about all of these particulars. And then in verse um, 22, we see that he even gives the men changes of garments to go back with. I mean, they, they, they came with certain, a certain um, uh, set of dress, uh, a certain wardrobe, if you will. But they were dressed for speed. They were dressed for a long trip. They didn't have, and they, they came out of a famine. They didn't have enormous resources. And so they came with what they had now they're going back, and, and the Pharaoh makes sure that they have changes of garments and to, to better illustrate the election of God and how God can find favor upon whom he will find favor, that God will love whom he will love, as it says in Romans 9. It says here that he gave to Benjamin. Now, little Benjamin had come by, young, or younger Benjamin. He wasn't little anymore, but the, the youngest brother of the family, uh, Joseph's uh, blood brother by his mother, uh, Benjamin did come down, and to Benjamin he gave uh, five, uh, 300 pieces of silver and five changes of gar garments uh, for, to Benjamin because he was related to Joseph in a little bit closer way. Look at the concern and the, particular, the particularism of Pharaoh's concern for the people of Israel. And he, in verse 23 it says, He sent to his father ten donkeys, Loaded with the good things of Egypt, that a donkey can carry hundreds of pounds of whatever. So he sends ten donkeys, uh, ten male donkeys loaded with stuff. He sends ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father and for the journey. And so he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he, and he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Uh, Joseph and Pharaoh, they don't want the, the family to be distracted. They want them to go, get the father, bring him back to Egypt for the, the largesse of the land of Goshen, one of the finest areas of Egypt. And all of this is there. It's just go and get them and come and, and keep focused. <laughs> keep them, keep the, uh, the team play in mind, Israelis. Don't get worried about this or that that you leave. Don't get worried about this or that that you might encounter. 
let me just come take these these uh, uh, animals that I've sent to, to transport you. Come come back to us, and uh, and we will bless you when you when you get here with the fat of the land. So we see here God's central concern, God's central interest, God's central love exemplified in Pharaoh's. That is that he he's, his his disposition. Is with them. He finds pleasure with them. And then we see how this affects all the particulars of their lives. From the beasts of burden to the garments that they're wearing. All of these things. This is a picture. It's a literal picture of how God changed Pharaoh's heart or worked with Pharaoh's heart. A, a, an unbeliever. There's no nothing that we are convinced of Pharaoh's evangelical uh, love of God in this, except for that he is pleasured with the people of Israel. And so we see how the, how the heart affects the different actions of our lives. <clears throat> and we see how, I mean, you can't help but thinking how this uh, re relates to you in your life with, with the Lord. Does my, is, does my, is my heart disposed to God? Are all the particulars of my life, are they orchestrated in such a way that they reflect this pleasure that I have, my heart has, that they reflect this pleasure with the Lord? Is my, is my Christology affected by this? Is my theology affected by this? Is my pneumatology affected by this? Is my doctrine of worship affected by this? The, the implications of this are so broad and so amazing. We see in verse 25 then that the, the wonderful fruition that this brings about in Israel's life, in Israel, the, the, both the nation and the, the man Israel, who now is going by two names, Jacob and also Israel, the Israel of God. And so it says in verse 25 that when they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father, <coughs> And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is the governor of all the land of Egypt. Just utterly, utterly fantastic things. Impossible. In terms of the ordinary workings of this world, impossible to really consider. And so it says that Jacob's heart stood still because he did, he did not believe them. He loved these boys. They were his sons. They were the most precious thing to him, especially little Benjamin as he came back to them. And yet he could not believe this. He, he, he thought, are the boys playing some fantastic trick upon my old heart? But it says in verse 27, when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and these words must have rung heart bells with Jacob, now called Israel. It must have reminded him of his son, the, the, the boy that had gone from him, the boy that he thought was dead. And when then he went outside and he saw these extravagant carts, these provisions that had been sent from Pharaoh in, in the common, uh, the, the natural reason of his mind and his heart and his, his observations in life. He knew that this was too extravagant. Way too wildly extravagant to, to have any other explanation than that this indeed had been sent by Pharaoh as a benevolent gesture toward him and toward his people to come back and to save themselves from the famine. And, uh, 
and uh, live for another day on the largesse of Egypt. And as it says there later on in verse um, 27, that as he saw all of this stuff, his heart was revived. He's a little bit like the disciple that, that prayed that he, he, he didn't believe, but he prayed to Jesus that Jesus might help his unbelief. And, uh, and so Joseph began to believe. It says the heart of the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And then, and then not calling him Jacob at the end, but Israel, it says, then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. It's just uh, an amazing scripture, an amazing picture of the goodness of God unto us. And this is the God who will spread a table for us next week and invite us to eat of his provisions. He'll invite us to enjoy his goodness. He will call upon us to reflect upon his disposition toward us from which all of these things have come. Uh, we can... Uh, I mean, when we think of, of how this venture started, the boys going back because they had, they had just run out of food. They didn't want to go back. They were afraid of Pharaoh's man, their brother Joseph. They were afraid of him, and they, they restrained themselves from going back, but the famine got so bad that the father said, you've got to go back. And they said, Dad, we've promised he won't see us without Benjamin. And we're afraid that he'll keep Benjamin or keep the rest of us or keep whatever. And his father said, you've got to go. We're, you're either going to obtain help for us or we're going to die. That was the beginning of the thing. But behind all of those problematic details, there was the living God and the way he can affect our hearts. The way he can change the dispositions of men. Does this not give us encouragement to pray for our own country. We see the hardness of hearts of, of, of people all around us. The hearts, of, the hearts of men and women are so hard that they cannot even be softened by the specter of all of the aborted children that they have, that they have slain in the last 50 years. There was anger against this change of the Supreme Court by the Supreme Court uh, regarding Roe v. Wade. You know, in 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 our thinking, we always we always differentiate between the circumstances uh, when it comes to ethics, and so uh, we consider it worse if uh, if a murderer attacks someone who is defenseless or someone who is relatively innocent as we judge innocence among the sons of men. But in this case, our nation has declared a, a, a vicious, bloody war against its own children. And the, all of those people that are aborting their children today, they get angry at us for encouraging them not to abort. We say, don't kill your children. Save them. Let them live. Let them be a blessing to you and to your family. And so the most amazing irony of our nation is that even as we have slain millions of our own children, now we beckon millions to come from abroad and cross over our borders because we say we need people. 
We need more citizens. We need people to take the places of those who are alive. Does not, does not God snarl at us and laugh at us in derision at our utter spiritual stupidity? But that's where we are today. And yet, if God would move his hand to open the windows of heaven, could he not change America in the twinkling of an eye? Could he not change the world? And all of these wonderful prophecies that we have like in Psalm 47, where it says that all the nations of the world will rise up and give thanks to God. Impossible, we say. How can that happen? Nothing is impossible for the God who in the midst of the absence of anything spoke the creation into existence. The power of God is immense. It cannot be stopped. And in this case, his people were sent to Egypt in the midst of a famine, and God moved Pharaoh's heart. It was so simple that the Bible doesn't even talk about the, the deed because it's so simple. God just does it. And here, it, it, it goes against all human logic. Why would an Egyptian be interested in blessing the Israelites? Is not, is not this an example of racism or tribalism, as we, as we might speak of it today? Are people, not, uh, are people not assumed to be concerned for their own tribe, for their own nation? And yet here's Pharaoh, because God opens his heart to pleasure, a pleasurable thought of Je Joseph and his people. And all of this stuff cascades down. Israel is saved. Israel is taken to Egypt where she can live in the strongest nation in the world like an incubator. She won't, she won't agitate the Moabites and the Canaanites on her borders because she's getting larger and broader and stronger. She's in the incubator of Egypt. And then at the proper time, God says, come out from her and become a nation. And she might say, well, how can I become a nation? We're just a bunch of slaves. And so God gives her of the largesse of Egypt. He gives her, he capitalizes her. They give her, they give Israel their gold. There's a, the bank of Israel is created overnight by the kindness of God. And he says, go up into the land uh, which I will show you and, and, uh, and live there and become a nation, become a beachhead for the eventual kingdom of God that encapsulates the whole world. Oh, just Wonderful wonder upon wonder that we see um, symbolically portrayed here in this text through this uh, amazing, uh, almost, quote, miraculous man, Joseph, who, of course, represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that we might have more confidence in thee. We pray that we might see that the efficiency of thy gospel is perfectly reflective of the situation for uh, the gospel has the pleasure of the Father as its driving force. And the, the pleasure of the Father then works its way out through all of the works of the Son. Is there anything, is there anyone that can bring any charge against his elect? Or is not every charge, every need, every moral, every ethical want uh, fixed? And prepared, even as these carts were in the, the changes of garments. Oh, Lord, does not Jesus Christ give us everything we need? Is there any place on the moral compass 
where he is not sufficient? Is there anything that we might have need of thee when we come before thy face in the last day? Is there anything that we might have need of that is not there in Christ? No! All of our supplies, all of our needs are taken care of in the Beloved. And so we pray that we might come to him both today and next week in the Lord's Supper. We pray that we might come to him and bask in thy sufficiency, O Lord, as it is given to us in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.